right, here we go. Glad you're with us. Right down our toll-free telephone number. It's 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? Nobody seems to know about Kim Jong-un. Rumors swirling everywhere. He's dead. He's in a vegetative state. His sister might take over. We don't know. Rumors, it is the oddest thing that you can't get an accurate answer on something like that. But I guess it's the world in which we live in today. But um, we'll find out his successor. Remember, she came into the forefront. Younger sister could take over as the leader of North Korea if speculation proves to be true. And her brother has died or is in a vegetative state. We'll find out. In the days to come, you can see what I was discussing last week is now unfolding all over the country. I mean, I don't know if you happen to see the beaches in California this past weekend. Uh, Huntington Beach, California is a case in point as, you know, police lifeguards were were fighting to, you know, in an effort, a losing effort to have the hordes practice social distancing and i think that it is a mindset that is now becoming ingrained in most people that they feel like they're ready to get life on now the question the challenge the difficulty is opening and opening safely uh one of the things and and i got into this with o'reilly last week he he wants baseball mlb to start may 15th with no crowds and I, I, I've learned so much. I've been doing. A, I, I've spent a lot of time talking to the Yankees in New York, and Randy Levine, who I've lo- known quite a long period of time. And and here's my analogy. And I told him this. I said, you know, I go to the store every weekend. I was there this weekend. There's this one young man. I don't. I told him I was talking about him on the radio and TV. And I see him every single solitary time I go out and go grocery shopping, which is every week, at least once, twice. You know, I I have found that there's a lift you get being outside and just breathing some fresh air because we've all spent so much time indoors, et cetera. But and he's there and he's been there the whole time and he's not talking about reopening and he's been stocking the shelves, and the guy works really, really hard. He's a really nice kid. And I spoke to him this weekend, and I I was talking about this part. And every single person that he knows that's working with him has been safe because they've been wearing their masks and gloves and using Purell, and the stores are stocked, and everything is going on almost like normal. Now, again... Um, I know we're talking about we don't want anybody to lose their life, but we didn't we didn't stop them from working. We they have the protective gear. All the masks now are becoming, you know, we're getting tens of millions a week now available for people. And if that's what it takes to open New York City again, if you want to start more slowly, more safely and. And you, they, they have these turnstiles that I told you about last week. Where you can literally move people through very quickly. In other words, I don't think it would slow down anybody. If anyone has a temperature, it would show up. You just walk through, non-invasive. You get your, t- you know, walk through one at a time. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, one person has a high temp. Excuse me, do you have a minute? You bring them aside, give them information. Can't go into the stadium. Everybody, the Yankees, they'll, they'll have masks with Yankees emblems on it if people don't have their own mask, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems, and, and then maybe you want to have two seats or every other seat or every third seat to begin. 
But if if these guys are allowed to stock the shelves right in the epicenter, right in the middle of peak weeks, every single solitary day, and the rest of the country is providing all of the medical equipment that New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Louisiana hotspots have needed, and they and we never closed them down, never shut them down, and they've all worked using these guidelines like the stores in New York um, and the and also the you know the pharmacies in New York. Those workers have all been working. They've all had masks on too because I've gone into those stores and all the other restaurants that I've gone into. All the workers they all have masks. They all have gloves and they're all working and they never shut down and they're up and they're running and now they're doing curbside service or you can do walk-in service but there's a distance there um so i i think people are now beginning to put it together testing is coming online make things easier etc there's got to be a way to do it do it safely now it might include those that are older with underlying health conditions and those people that have compromised immune systems we we may for their protection need to isolate especially from them or if you are in in an environment where you might contract the disease you're gonna have to out of love for them stay away from them but those are people that you would know within your family and so it is uh you know it's it's there's a way there we're smart people we have good doctors we have great protection we have great manufacturers but there comes a point where uh, we as a country have to make the decision and it is happening more and more in other places around the country. I mean, you, you can see it every single day. Um, you see that Tennessee, Mississippi, Montana reopening a lot of their businesses following the states, easing a coronavirus. You see Florida uh, beaches are open for people walking. The exact, I mean, it is a scandal of monumental proportions where here in New York, and it makes absolutely no sense to me why this directive came down from Andrew Cuomo that nursing homes, elderly care facilities had to, were mandated to take on COVID-19 patients when there was no need for it. We all watched the Navy hospital ship Comfort. Uh, I don't even think they got over 100 or 200 patients when it had capacity for 1,000. So nobody really understands why they weren't used. The same thing with the 3,000-bed hospital that was built by the president and the army corps of engineers then converted to COVID 19 capabilities i mean all of that was available to new york and and why you would force people back into nursing homes is i i i, I don't even know and i think the most shocking thing had to be andrew cuomo's own words on this which really is causing him a lot of trouble in new york is when asked about, well, why, do you, why did you send COVID-19 patients to elderly home facilities and nursing homes? He says, well, uh, well, we, we've been helping these homes with, P, you know, PPE equipment, et cetera. But again, it's not our job. But hang on a second. He was he was the guy that was saying it was the federal government's job to give him everything the state had not prepared for. And I'm like, that that is not going over well in any way. Um you know, it is to you can't even make sense of it, especially because the resources were there, the personnel, the hospitals, the equipment, 
all of the safety. Everything was done for the state of New York for COVID-19 patients. There was no reason at all to send them back into the elderly community where they obviously were not prepared because this is where many of the deaths in New York took place because those were the people with pre-existing conditions. Those are the elderly. And it even turned out that some of the people that had come from hospitals had been treated for COVID-19, but mandated to go back to a nursing home. Many of those people themselves, they lived, but they infected, in some cases, entire hospital areas. I mean, it, it was the magnitude of this. It is unbelievable. Now, you looked at the numbers we showed you last week. Why did Ron DeSantis do so well down in Florida? Because early, their focus was the protection of the older population. They went to the villages early. They went to nursing homes early. They put all of their resources into elderly care facilities. And it turned out to be the right strategy that saved a lot of people from contracting the virus, number one, and number two, from dying from the virus. Um, So we'll have to see, you know, how that all falls out. Uh, The Andrew for President Brigade, I think, is probably... Uh, going to calm down on on a lot of different levels. Um, we saw some retaliation. Nursing home administrators who had complained about Cuomo. One person said he had blood on his hands. Anyway, because of the March 25th or, or, uh, executive order, uh, now being threatened with retaliation, according to the New York Post. And they're saying the governor's launching a probe into whether nursing homes are complying with safety orders related to coronavirus. We're going to undertake an investigation. I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, But researchers who ran New York State's um, findings, they say on the issue of hydroxychloroquine in that study, this was on CNN, are inconclusive. The dean of the University of Albany School of Public Health. um, But again, I go back to, I think, Dr. Wallace, there's no more preeminent expert on hydroxychloroquine, although tens of millions of doses, 65 years, 42 years, 400 peer-reviewed papers he's written. He's written the definitive book on lupus treatment and all his many, many 42 years in practice. He's never had a patient and almost all of them have or are on currently uh, hydroxychloroquine, no risk whatsoever at all, no hospitalizations in the recommended doses for corona. Uh, absolutely the, the risk is nil his words, not mine, but I guess everybody wants to politicize everything. Uh, Dr. Burks is now predicting Corona deaths will drop dramatically over the next 30 days. Uh, we have a lot percolating on the deep state that we're going to get into in the course of a number of days here. One of the big scandals that is really emerging here. Now we've talked about media a lot. We talk about the mob a lot. We talk about how wrong they've been so often. We talk about the media. They got it wrong on Russia, Russia, four separate investigations, culminating Mueller report. We talk about how they ignored Hillary Clinton's dirty dossier. We now know the bulk of information. In fact, unverifiable, even debunked. It was used. They they knew it was fake information. They knew it was lo- likely Russian d- disinformation, but they used it anyway. It is the biggest abuse of power, corruption, scandal in history. Uh, we now see that John Durham, the prosecutor, is ramping up his investigative efforts. And as the attorney general Barr has pointed out, this is not something 
that is for a report. It is, you know, to hold accountable those people that have violated civil liberties, the FISA process, premeditated fraud, FISA court. And it looks like it's going way beyond just spying in that aspect. As I said, there were many paths that they seem to use for spying. Uh, We now know the evidence against General Flynn was BS from the beginning. The same with Papadopoulos. We now see the single worst example of prosecutorial abuse in the case of Roger Stone. And, you know, when your jury foreperson had been writing about Roger Stone, apparently that didn't come up in jury questionnaire forms and had an obvious stated public bias against Roger Stone and the president. And that case doesn't get thrown out. We've got a real problem in our criminal justice system. Um, So all of these items are now percolating to the surface. And, uh, you know, talk of, uh, I guess, a week or two ago, potential pardons uh, by the president. It'll be interesting to watch and see what happens on that front. I want to get into the issue of bias. We're going to compare and contrast. There is a woman by the name of Tara Reid. And Tara Reid has made allegations against Joe Biden. The media mob, the I believers, the Democratic Party are ignoring her. She has corroboration. She has credibility. Nick Nolte, 16 reasons why I believe Tara Reid. They are beyond compelling. Why is it in every interview Joe Biden has had, nobody will ask him the question? How is that even possible? It's possible because that's who they are. They're an extension of Biden's campaign. Is it a double standard? Yes. Is it everything we've always known? Sadly, yes, too. Does the truth ever matter? It should matter, but it doesn't. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Simple questions here. You have two prominent female Democratic Democratic vice presidential frontrunners appearing on three national political shows. None are asked about the explosive allegations against their potential running mate, Joe Biden. On Friday... The an episode from 1993 of Larry King lives resurfaced and it included a call of Tara Reid. She is the woman that has accused Biden of past sexual assault while in the Senate. The call corroborates something that happened to her daughter right along these fields, right, right along this 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 timeline. There are now multiple people that have come out and corroborated Tara Reid's story. And when you look at the allegation, it first resurfaced, by the way, in The Intercept on March the 24th on a podcast hosted by Katie Halper, who then interviewed Tara Reid. She was a senior staff member of Joe Biden in 1993, asked her to bring, anyway, Joe Biden, the allegation is, asked her to bring the his Senate bag near the U.S. Capitol building, which led to the encounter. This is beyond shocking what she says happened next. Now, all the I believers, all the stormy, stormy, stormy people, all of the Democrats and their willing accomplices in the mob, they won't even ask Joe the question, how long can this stand? All right, 25 till the top of the hour. I'm going to get back to this story. Tara Reid, the media, the mob, the double standard. It is it is beyond breathtaking. Sad, too.
Um, but it is. There is a lot percolating as it relates to our deep state three year deep dive dig into the biggest corruption, abuse of power scandal in history. Similarly ignored by the media mob that ended up being wrong the entire time, but never get held accountable. Uh, the issue is now that General Flynn, based on new evidence, will be exonerated. In other words, that he'll be completely exonerated and that the court concealed uh, exculpatory evidence in his investigation. We recently discovered that with Papadopoulos. And we now know that the jury, jury four person, forget about free impartial juries in America, in the Stone case had publicly trashed Roger Stone on social media and and trashed the president and all the president's supporters. Anybody else would have had that case thrown out. Now, also knowing that the in the case of Paul Manafort, even Michael Cohn. I'm still kind of mad at because he was never my attorney, but I'm letting bygones be bygones. Uh, But these cases never would have arisen because they knew at the time that the dirty dossier was dirty and unverifiable. They did it anyway, which which would have meant none of this would have happened. These cases had long been resolved, at least the case of Manafort. Um, I want to tell you about something that. um, that I've been working on almost a year now. I don't remember when I started and I did it reluctantly and I did it, but but now I'm, I'm really glad that I did. And we as a country, from my view, are in a tipping point. In 190 days, this is not hyperbole to me. This, this is not, um, I'm not pushing any envelopes here on per on purpose. This the the future of this great republic is hanging in the balance in 190 days. Um, I quote in what I'm about to tell you: "Freedom is but one generation away from extinction." Those are the words of Ronald Reagan. And what I've been working on is a definitive book on. What is at stake? What this country is facing, the choice, this critical moment of history. I've, I've been calling it an all hands on deck moment to save this great republic. So many that have lived, sacrificed and died. I, ne- I never thought we'd be discussing or debating um, a new green deal get, gets rid of the lifeblood of the world's economy and that everyone gets everything free, which are the promises of socialism the promises of Marxism and redistributionism and statism. It is something that could never happen. I can't believe that that has now taken over an entire party. Uh, Even though I personally declared the media dead and buried journalism dead in 2007, I didn't know how right I am. This case involving Tara Reid, who's making these, I think, credible allegations against Joe Biden and the media just ignores it is another case in point. There are multiple fronts on which this fight is has got to take on because you you have an entire media mob establishment. They have chosen sides. We know they've chosen sides. We know a Democratic Party that has done nothing to advance your prosperity, your wealth, your opportunity, except to 
365 fixate on Donald Trump and hating Donald Trump. You know, nothing stops them. Everything that this president has gone through. And in spite of it, you know, I will argue that Donald Trump is not a hard person to figure out at all because whatever he had been promising in 2007, I'm sorry, 2015, 2016, he's kept his promises. And this is what this election is all about. So for pretty close to a year, I, I was I can't explain why I have this mysterious reluctance in me because it's hard. I admire writers a lot because it's hard. I prefer to come on a radio program live like this one, speak. I can't edit. I don't have to polish it. I don't have to sand it. I don't have to prime it and then sand it again and then and then, you know, get the proper coat on top to make it perfect but i decided for the first time in 10 years i'd not written a book and i decided that some time ago that i'm going to do this and i've been working on it ever since and events have have shifted and changed the timeline in terms of the book's release till later this summer because i want to make sure that everything that we've been now living through is also included in this and it adds a lot in in so many different ways But um, I also want to give I'm giving a a concise ideological history of freedom of this republic of liberty to demonstrate how we've been given the greatest gift that God's ever given man. I say it all the time. Barry Farber, there's never been a country in the history of man that has accumulated more power and abused it less than the United States. And I add there's been no country in the history of mankind that has accumulated more power and used it to advance the human condition more than the United States. Free market capitalism has been, has created that opportunity that everybody has benefited under. We have watched historically great republics crash and burn. If we go down the road of where the democratic extreme radical socialist party wants to take us with state run media propping them up the whole way. It is not something I think is a country we can ever recover from. I believe it with all my heart, my mind and my soul. And so I decided to put it in writing so you can look at it, you can read it, you can study it, you can share it. And lay out the case. The book, we're just showing it now for the first time. And some have speculated that I might be and blah, blah, blah. There's always somebody that leaks something. The book is called Live Free or Die, America and the World on the Brink. That's it. And, and, and then I have it in Latin, Live Free or America Dies. This is what is at stake to me in 190 days. Uh, I have a great partnership with Simon and Schuster, and uh, the cover is complete. It's on Hannity.com. I'll let you know more about it in the days and weeks ahead. Um, it has been the hardest job, short of this job and my regular jobs that I've ever had. And uh, Linda, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? No, I mean, it's a, it's a labor of love. I mean, you've been talking about this for a while. I mean, I know when we did conservative victory back in 2010, I mean, it was 19 cities in three weeks, you know, and obviously 
with what's happening with COVID and post-COVID. I don't know how that's all going to work out, but we, we're looking forward to seeing people on the road and, and, and hopefully getting well, the word it, out. It changed you know? the trajectory, obviously, of the entire year and, and obviously took on a new um, area of importance uh, in the book as well. But anyway... But wait, um, you know, you just like so title, but, yeah. I love, I love, listen, I mean, we've gone through this. I mean, you showed us, you know, what should we call it? What should the name be? What, you know, how should the flag look? You I know? was leaning very, very close to live free or America dies because that's what I feel it is. And a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, so I put it in Latin so nobody can read it. <laughs> but, no, I mean, uh, I mean, listen, it's, that was me. It's, a, it's important. This is, you know, this is your book. This is, you know, after 30 years of doing this and being around the country and talking to Americans every single day and listening to them. Um, and I think, you know, the, the cool thing about it is that, you know, your your book is sort of a collection of all these thoughts. Some of them you get to, some of them you don't every day. You know, even with four hours, there's just so much to cover. But, you know, for, from the administrative side, if you guys want to check it out in the audience, it's SeanHannityBook.com. Audience, <laughs> audience, audi- audience. It's on Hannity.com. How's that? It's on Hannity.com, but also SeanHannityBook.com. Um, we'll talk more about it as the days go forward, but... Um... Uh, I've, I'm I'm proud of this fact. I've had some friends of mine, very few, that I have been showing things that, you know, passages, chapters, and things that I've been writing, getting input from friends. Uh, Linda has seen some of it, um, and it's it's a lot of work to do a book. I can tell you that. I don't think people realize how much work it is, because uh, so much work goes into this show. That's why I didn't do one show. for 10 years. I swore I'd never do it again, but I, mean, I just, the moment calls for it. It is, I've never lived through this time. And I, you know, Sean, when we went on that first tour, I'd only been with you for about five years. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is like a whole beast. I mean, we did TV, radio, from the road, from the cities, all the book signings. It was incredible. And I mean, I was like, you want to do this again? I'm like, OK. Yeah. Um, so I think there has to be a definitive case. Um, I'll let you know more about it. A lot of it we're talking about and some of it, maybe even the events that will ultimately shape the election. Um maybe unfolding now you know i'm i watched all weekend and i've been watching and i've been watching and i've been watching there was a great piece on foxnews.com so the allegations that are made by tara reed and i can say this that um i did have a brief i did have a phone call with her i will not divulge the contents of it uh there was a great piece by nick nolte out there um that, you know, there are all the reasons why he believes it. You got to give props to the Intercept and Glenn Greenwald. Even our old friend Ryan Grimm um, has been all over this. And I think they've been looking at it from a lot of different angles. And I think the fact that they were able to find this tape. So she makes But to have every single Democratic vice presidential frontrunner, female Democratic vice presidential frontrunner, all over three national political shows over the weekend, and they're not asked a single question about it. All these interviews with fake news, CNN, and, and the rest of them, they don't ask a question about it. And when you compare the timeline and all the I believers, where were they in asking the question about this? There is, the, the, listen to this call to, from 1993. This is Tara Reed's mother. More corroboration. She has friends she told at the time that have gone on record saying this is what she said at the time. And her mother wanted her to tell the story, obviously, based on this call. Listen. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, uh, a, a staffer uh, would do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there. 
uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. Well, now, but these are the people who do come to the Lois Romanos, right? The mm-hmm. staff worker who says, I want to let you know about what's going this on, either with my boss or the guy down the hall. Now, CNN fake Jake Tapper, George Stephanopoulos, Chuck Todd, they failed to ask any of Joe Biden's named potential running mates about the assault, sexual assault allegation uh, against Joe Biden. He's running for president. Now, if you think that Donald Trump would be treated the same way, you know better than that. You know, the only thing you got from the Biden campaign generally is, oh, that's false. It's sort of like the protection program for Hillary or Biden. You know, they, everyone cares about obstruction of justice and Russia, but Hillary paid for a dirty Russian dossier that even the New York Times, as sleazy as they are, you know, recognized was likely Russian disinformation from the beginning. She deletes all of her emails that are subpoenaed, bleach bit, you know, then the hammers and devices and SIM cards. This surfaces in this interview in the in the with the intercept in a podcast. It's it's out there. We're reading it. We see it. And it's really, you know, graphic. And and this is a full on sexual assault. This is not a a kiss. There's no ambiguity. Nothing. And obviously, hearing that tape and knowing that her friends have gone on the record from at the time knowing, if you compare that to the media coverage of Brett Kavanaugh or the media coverage of Donald Trump and Stormy and Karen McDougal and and everything else that they brought up, for, it, it, it is breathtaking hypocrisy. And it is agenda-driven. And if this doesn't prove the media has a bias I don't know what does. And I think, like I've been saying, I want every Democrat and everybody in the media in retrospect was Donald Trump's xenophobic, racist, uh, hysterical, fear mongering travel ban on January 31st. The good idea Did Donald Trump do anything right by building all these hospitals and getting the ventilators and the gowns and the masks and the respirators. Uh, I'd like to also ask them this question. Uh, why isn't anyone in the media have the courage to ask anybody about this? Nancy Pelosi endorsing Biden today. Just dismiss it. This is a, this isn't about politics or anything else. What? You know, when she was talking about Kavanaugh, the New York Times it is out there. No, no other allegation about sexual assault surfaced in the course of our reporting, nor did any former Biden staff corroborate Reed's allegation. Because they agreed to whatever changes the Biden campaign demanded on them. And it's the same thing with the Washington Post. And it's the same thing with everybody else. The only one person I see that was consistent, because remember, it was, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. How about the presumption of innocence? And I said at the time, Chrissy, uh, Professor Chrissy uh, Ford should be, okay, let's listen to it. And you had Julie Sweatneck, and they lined up almost every other weekend. And, and they spiked the punch, and the boys lined up in the halls, and there was a gang rape. They went with that, and that was debunked. But they don't care. Do you think your media is fair, balanced, objective, or are they agenda-driven? Basically an extension of, of all things radical socialist Democratic Party. The answer is obvious. 
Even Anderson Cooper, CNN. Why didn't he ask the question? Just ask the question. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity show. By the way, the media bias. How is it possible that you have these allegations hanging out there for Joe Biden? And all these female Democratic vice presidential frontrunners, they're on three national political shows Sunday. None are asked about the explosive allegations. I'm going to tell you how this is going to unfold. And I think uh, Greenwald was right in The Intercept. This is not going to go away. They're the mob in the media. They've tried to, to ignore and protect and ignore and protect and protect and ignore there. It's not going to happen. You don't get to treat uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh one way. And then because it's Joe Biden, you treat somebody an entirely different way. You just totally ignore it. Sort of like quid pro quo Joe. And you're not getting the billion unless you uh, fire the prosecutor investigating my zero experience son being paid millions. Oh, there's no story there. No credible person ever asked the question. And they let him get away with that. And they're trying to let that happen here. Uh, Joe Concha will weigh in on uh, all of that. Uh, as the country now struggles how to safely reopen America, we are making progress. A lot of states are doing it. And it's very interesting. And I said this in the last hour. So I go shopping my local grocery store happens to be stop and shop in case any of you are interested and i go there and every single solitary time i'm there there's a young man that i didn't know until recently a couple of weeks ago a number of weeks ago was a fan of mine i see him every week and we talk how you doing he's always in his mask always in his gloves and new york wouldn't have survived but for the fact that people like him you know didn't need to reopen because he was there every single day stocking the shelves. There was never a shortage of any food in any grocery store I went to. Only a shortage of paper towels and of toilet paper. They even had Campbell's chicken noodle soup in stock yesterday, which made me very happy. It's my staple. Um, they were there every day. If we shut down the manufacturers of all the medical equipment, needed for these medical heroes we wouldn't have had ventilators respirators masks gloves shields um gowns or anything they stayed open now the question is if if somebody can work in a pharmacy in new york peak week ground zero the epicenter and do it safely with masks gloves purell washing etc why is it that we can't open a lot of other places business now you see what's happening in california the beaches were mobbed huntington beach california this weekend and lifeguards police you know tried to you know create more social distancing people had had it now i'd recommend people wear gloves especially in new york these high areas of concentration of people but i've, I've given my plan to open new york open outdoor stadiums i talked a lot to randy levine of the yankees he's willing to give temperature checks non-invasive He's willing to make up uh, masks, Yankee masks. He's willing to make sure that that people have to wear the mask to come and watch the game. And can we do it? Bigger challenges, obviously, bars. I don't know how you do that. I don't have an answer. Restaurants, another more difficult, closed in. It's harder. Anyway, Dr. Oz, our medical late team, is back with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. You know, to that point, we don't have to answer all those latter questions now because we'll be informed by the real-life experience we get. I think a lot of people think about the idea of opening up their state as a light switch. 
And the better metaphor is a dimmer. You want to slowly open it up, allow everyone to sort of catch up, both emotionally as the public, because they're not going to go if you open it up and you know, it's not ready. They're not going to trust it, so they're smartly going to stay away. But more important, equally importantly, I should say, you want public health officials to gather data so they can educate everybody about how safe it is or not so we can pull back if we need to. Okay, you actually did something which I think was brilliant. And you was especially looking at how to open a restaurant. And you talked about a restaurant in China where three families had dined back in January and, and you had one table, table A, which was yellow. Uh, they had COVID-19, didn't have any symptoms. And then the people surrounding table A. Tell us what happened. I love that you watch the show. I mean, I tell you. I, Sorry, I'm, a, I'm, so I'm, 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 I'm as bad as you and I don't sleep. It's so much fun. Uh, so I spent a little time on this story because you learn a lot from real-life experiences like this. And I had Ian Lipkin, the famous virus hunter on the show, talking through uh, I, I, you know, what, what happened and what it teaches us. So essentially, a person sat in between two other families. So in theory, if they were breathing and the air conditioning was coming at them from one side, it would have protected the downwind or I say upwind family and hurt the downwind family. Well, it turns out everyone got sick. So what that means is the virus is being bounced around the closed space. It was a basement restaurant, uh, not ventilated. So and then you put a fan in there, basically, right? And you're just blowing around whatever virus is in the air. So, you know, that's like the worst-case scenario. We can, of course, do much, much better than that. So I was raising the thought with Dr. Lipkin, you know, how do we get uh, more clever in pre- 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 preparing? Because one day it's going to be the time for a not-well-ventilated restaurant to open. And what are they going to do to make sure everyone's safe? So a couple things. There's obviously you could use different kinds of of, uh, of lights theoretically that have been studied. There's nice, you know, there are a bunch of articles about uh, about the impact on viruses theoretically, of course. Uh, okay, we have proof that it actually works in a restaurant. You might not want to have fans in ventilated areas. You want to have everything better ventilated. Uh, so these all become opportunities. And of course, there's the issue of how do you test people at the door so they never get in the restaurant in the first place. Lots of opportunities, but restaurants need advice because they're also uh, going to be suffering until we not only open them, but more importantly, make sure they're safe. Okay, so, but I, I do think, and am I wrong in my thinking, that, for example, it, I, I think teleworking is going to be the future, like telemedicine. And, and tell me if you agree on telemedicine. If people have 24-7 as part of any health care plan, the ability, 24-7, 365, to call up their particular insurer, and get a, a, a doctor that's live, that's available, ask questions. My, my son, my daughter has the croup. Uh, should I take him to the emergency room or what should I do? Okay, we could probably, I'm guessing, lower emergency room visits by a third minimum uh, because the doctor will say, okay, here, put some steam, uh, put on a steam shower, do this, 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 and this, and call me back in an hour. Um, teleworking, I think employees are now going to love it. I think that's going to be the future. I think they'll love the flexibility, the you know, more open spaces, saving on taxes. I think businesses will realize they don't have to pay high rents. They can have people working from home. That's pretty much rent free for them uh, and, and keep productivity up. And Zoom meetings will be the future. So if you keep half a New York workers home, everyone gets a temperature check. Everyone wears gloves and masks in the workplace, more socially distanced based on half the workforce home. Can you do that successfully? And how soon can you start it? It's already started. It's happening because of this past six weeks of shutdown. And a lot of people who are listening right now are still making a living, uh, dealing with sometimes adverse situations, but oftentimes they've figured it out. and They've, got a, a, they've gotten rid of their commute. The average American uh, was spending about an hour commuting a day, so that saved time. 
Uh, you also have the flexibility of popping in and spending 10 minutes with someone you want to see in your family that you probably wouldn't have seen if you were away at work. Uh, the rent's a big issue, uh, and I've, I've seen this in other industries, uh, as, but, but telemedicine you brought up in particular. It's beautiful for two reasons. One, doctors have perishable inventory, which means, you know, we finish our day job, let's say, at four, but you have two more hours of patients you could see, but you didn't know you'd be done at four because you can never tell. And right. so what if you could use that time to help someone across the country who's in a different time zone? Uh, we're already seeing this in radiology. It could take place in more basic practices. And a lot of times the advice to your point is, hey, listen, we don't, there's nothing going around right now. So I already know that I'm not that worried about what you're describing. So let me just, you know, do, do this, do that. And then based on those questions, I can tell you what I would have told you if you came to my office without the risk of coming to my office and infecting my patients or you getting infection for somebody else. So if I need a pack, let's say you, I, I telemedicine with you and I say, okay, I got this, 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 and this, you know what's going around and I need a pack. I don't have to go see you next time to see, to, to get a prescription called in, correct? Or if I need bloods yeah. taken, you want to look at my bloods before you talk to me, well, you send me to LabCorp or Quest and I get my bloods done, you get to read the bloods and, and we go from there. Exactly. When I, I'll see you when it's opportune as opposed to see you order the bloods, you get the bloods you know, two days later, now I got to call you up and we're playing uh, you know, tag as, as we try to complete your care. It just saves a step. It should have happened earlier. It was already happening slowly. This just accelerated. And of course, it's a lot easier than you'd expect. Once you've done it once or twice, it all becomes the norm. So a lot of Americans realize they can do things. They learn how to use technologies like Zoom that they never knew existed before. They're TV stations that we're not using these technologies to do remote interviews, that learned how to use them. And I'm pretty sure they're not going back to the old way of doing it because this is simple, efficient, reliable, and cheaper. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of articles. More recently, I saw, I think it was this weekend in the Wall Street Journal, um, people, people were leaving New York City before coronavirus. Now what? And I could tell you, and I think it's beyond anecdotal, so many people that I know that live in New York City, they're like, I'm out of here. And they, they literally, they say, okay, teleworking, they absolutely love freedom, flexibility, open spaces, lower taxes, less crime, better schools, better weather, zero commute. Employers, I would think they'd like the dramatic reduction in rent and taxes, uh, associated costs with doing business with fewer employee interactions, you know, Zoom. Companies will shift their business headquarters and operations out of high-tax states with burdensome regulations, save millions on day one. Uh, you know, I, I think a city like New York City or a state like New York may be in for a reckoning. And if people don't think it can happen, think back to what happened to the great city of Detroit. Do you see that as a possibility, Dr. Ross? We're seeing uh, some experts argue with, with convincing uh, thoughts that uh, the middle-sized cities of this country are going to grow in fashion than they have been, for all the reasons you stated. And I happen to love New York, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I, I take my show in the city. My whole staff comes there. So there are definitely businesses that have no intention of leaving. For us, the bigger opportunity is to let people work from home when they don't have to be in the office. And I think I'm probably the norm. But without question, especially for people who are having trouble affording the rent, now, this is a smart time to look around and see what else is out there as an opportunity to preserve your quality of life, uh, but also to, to make every city cater to your needs. So if, if a city But New York, better- for three years in running, has been losing pretty large poor. They're, they're number one in the country for people leaving the state. High taxes, regulation, uh, densely populated areas. Do you know if you took a um, U-Haul 
out of California and you move to Texas, it's around $2,2500, depending on what part of California. If you take the U-Haul from Texas back to California, you're doing U-Haul a favor. It's like 400 bucks. That's how dramatic it is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I, that speaks I, vo- I, Isn't that incredible? It does. But, but I got to say, the, 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 the big issue of infections, we should be able to remove from the decision process. What the pandemic created in terms of a shutdown, those economic ramifications, you're more of the expert than me, but I'm pretty confident that will at least remove the fear of infection as one of the drivers of people moving to different places. Yes, there'll be some who are influenced by it, but uh, I do think that we'll give, we'll give people a lot of confidence, especially once we have the vaccine, but even, be, even before then, because there are dozens of ideas out there. Some are going to pan out in how we can treat people better who have contracted COVID-19. Let me ask the last question, and the last question is this. If this young man, who I really am fond of, who works at my local grocery store, has worked all throughout this entire you know, right in the epicenter, there every day, you know, stocking the shelves. Great. He's a hardworking kid. Great kid. If he can do it and he do it and he's doing it safely, just like manufacturers are manufacturing medical equipment safely. Don't we have the model to open the rest of the country? Yeah, I, the, the, the issue is we can't test it with just one person in one store. But yes, Sean, I think there are a lot of well, it's people every store believe... and it's every drug store and it's every manufacturing center. Right. right. Exactly. But I, I think that that's why it's so important that we're meticulous as we reopen states. And maybe we want to reopen it in counties more than states to really assess how people are doing it and learn from the experience. If we test and trace, we'll know. We, either we're going to find out that, my goodness, this is like shockingly good. No one's getting sick. Or we're going to learn, you know, some people get sick, but they're the young or the people without vulnerable uh, comorbidity, so they're not getting that ill. I mean, they're, they're, they don't feel good for a couple of days, so then I ended up in the hospital, or God forbid, going on, onto a ventilator, right? So we we'll, might find that, or we might find out, my goodness, this is, this is not working out the way you want it to work out. And I'm, my biggest concern is the last. I don't want that to happen, because it's a lot easier to shut down the first time than the second time. So I, if we're thoughtful about this, and I think that we're, that's what we're starting to see now. Everyone's has a, going at their own pace. They're making sure that we're developing real-world guidelines like you mentioned, if that gentleman is as meticulous as you're describing and he's social distancing with the mask and the gloves, that should work. But we just, all we got to do now is prove that should is real, and then I think everyone gets really confident. All right, Dr. Oz, as always, thank you for being with us. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. Toll-free, it's 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Missouri has filed a suit against China for enormous consequences of coronavirus deceit. Now we're hearing it might be even worse than that, if you can believe it. I mean, it is the, the level of dishonesty and lying it, and, and the fact that they protected all the people in China. No people in Wuhan were allowed to travel anywhere within China. Nobody from China was able to fly to Wuhan province. There is a story out on foxnews.com that China could have 50 times more coronavirus cases than claimed, according to some Trump administration officials. In other words, what it, 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 they knew it was bad. They hid it from the world. Then they were buying up all of the medical equipment. Now they're selling it at massive markups on top of them protecting the rest of their country and still allowing travel from Wuhan to other parts of the world and from other parts of the world to Wuhan, but not within their own country. It is unbelievable. You know, they increased their official count by 50% in one day. 
because they've been called out on it. And there's too many images that are now escaping out of China in terms of urns and, and graves and, and people and funerals. Nobody knows the real number. Now, there was a study out of Great Britain that said, well, we could have prevented 95% of this if they were just open and honest with the world that we've got a virus. And, and, and by the way, this then goes to the heart of Donald Trump's decision. The world would have sent their leaders there. And the fact that the president rightly stood up and, and said, no, I'm, I'm putting a travel ban in place. And everybody criticized him and beat him up for it when it turns out that the president did the right thing. Now, Missouri became the first state to file this lawsuit against China, accusing the country of being responsible for the severity of the coronavirus pandemic, seeking damages to make up for the most enormous amount of loss, human life, suffering, economic turmoil resulting from this disease. Anyway, the suit in the Eastern District of Missouri follows at least seven federal class action suits that have been filed by private groups and one filed in Florida saying that China knew how dangerous this was. Now, capable this COVID-19 virus was of causing a pandemic. They not only acted slowly, they put their head in the sand and they covered it up for their own economic self-interest, only protecting their own people. Missouri has confirmed 5,963 cases. Now we have to make sure that the solution, it doesn't end up being worse than, of course, the problem. And that's why we have to get to the safe way, that balance, the safe way to open up the country. Um, This is exploding in New York, I can tell you this, because of Governor Cuomo insisting that nursing homes actually wanted coronavirus patients that they were forced to take under his executive directive on March the 25th because it, quote, boosted their profits. But that's what he said earlier today. There's a good article in Breitbart by the way, it's John Nolte, what I was referring to earlier, not Nick Nolte. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to insult you in any way. Um, anyway, so the governor of New York says whatever reason they want, they could call the D- Department of Health and say, hey, uh, you take Bernadette, I can handle her. Department of Health, now when the Department of Health takes Bernadette, they no longer get paid for Bernadette. Oh, money. This is Cuomo speaking here. And Cuomo said the account from one nursing home operator who begged him to transfer his coronavirus patients to the hospital ship Comfort was a bit misleading. And then he said, well, it's not my response. He literally said he made the statement. I mean, it is breathtaking and it kind of went viral all over New York. Well, you know, it's it's not our job. Well, you're forcing COVID-19 patients. Now, it was the president of the United States that built the 3,000 Hospital beds at the Javits Center, the largest hospital in the country, not only built it for New York, but manned it for New York. Uh, And the same with the Comfort. Neither one was designed to take on COVID-19 patients. They both adapted and adjusted, which, by the way, was not an easy task in any way. You know, Cuomo said the Comfort is a federal facility. It doesn't take transfers from nursing homes. It only takes transfers from hospitals. Well, but that's where they were coming from. In other words, people were coming from that particular, you know, from those areas. Anyway, uh, we have the attorney general of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, is with us. Uh, Eric, how are you? Uh, tell us quickly about your lawsuit. Sure, I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I think, look, as, as you sort of talked about, the world is learning more and more every day. But here's what we do know, is that the Chinese government engaged in a broad and sweeping campaign of deception uh, and deceit of misinformation 
of misrepresentations in really critical times uh, during the months of December uh, and of January, where this you know global pandemic really could have been mitigated and prevented. I mean, they suppressed critical information. They arrested whistleblowers. They denied human-to-human transmission in the face of mounting evidence. They destroyed critical medical research, permitted millions of people to be exposed to the virus, and this has been unleashed. Unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime, and no part of the world has been spared, certainly not here in the United States and in my home state of Missouri, we have over 6,000 cases now, over 200 lives lost, people separated from loved ones in nursing homes, not being able to attend funerals. You know, the economic impact is, is massive, people losing their jobs, and we have you know, 26 million jobs lost in the United States in just two months. And uh, people living paycheck to paycheck that are really struggling now. State governments now are, you know, our legislature's crafts the state budget under these circumstances. So I felt it was my job as the state's chief legal officer and had a moral obligation to bring this lawsuit, to hold the Chinese government accountable for their actions and lay the blame exactly where it should be, which is at their feet. But these are, when you go internationally, um, these are very difficult cases. There are lots of ways that people delay and delay and delay and at different points, you have bias built in and foreign policy issues built in. How long are you talking about before there be any real justice for the people of your state or any state in terms of a successful lawsuit against China, which results in damages and payments to people? Well, it's not going to happen overnight, uh, but we've got to start somewhere. And I'm proud that Missouri is leading the charge on this. I don't think we'll be the last state to do it. I think when you look at the facts and you look at the law, and one thing that's worth pointing out, Scott, is that typically foreign governments uh, claim uh, sort of blanket protection under, you know, the claim of sovereign immunity. But interestingly, and I think as legal experts begin to look at our complaint, which is a 47-page complaint we filed in federal court last week, uh, they're starting to recognize uh, the merits of this claim because there are exceptions to the Federal Sovereign Immunities Act. And one of those exceptions is commercial activity exception. And so what we allege in this complaint is the fact that they're running a hospital system, um, the fact that they're hoarding PPE, um, they became a net importer. They had previously been a net exporter of PPE, and during these critical weeks became a net importer of PPE, and they're running the Wuhan Virology Lab. These are all objective commercial activities that we believe gives us a solid avenue for relief, ultimately, when it's all said and done. Well, I wish you well in your suit. We're going to follow it closely, and if there's progress or any news, please keep us updated, because I think you know, I mean, this is the least we can do for the families that lost loved ones in the world that has suffered economically as a result of this. One of the things I would hope that might come into consideration is uh, any uh, debt that China is holding for the U.S. be withheld so that families well, can look, be we, justly and rightly compensated. Taxpayers can be compensated for this massive amount of money that we're talking about here being spent. It's, it's, it, well, this is going to be generational now, the impact on economically on the country. Well, look, we, we want to hold them accountable, and then this lawsuit is about getting to the truth and holding them accountable, and that's why we're going to pursue this as aggressively as we can. All right, thank you. Uh, the Attorney General of the great state of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, good luck with that. Keep us updated, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Now, there's, again, I want to go back to this Cobble Hill Health Center. This was in the New York Post. I mean, what we have here is there was this this Governor Cuomo made an order that forced nursing homes, elderly care facilities to take on COVID-19 positive patients 
as of March 25th. The, the, a lot of these places are like, we, we don't have the ability to deal with it. And then Governor Cuomo's answered when he was confronted late last week with this, was told, you know, said, well, we've been helping them with more PPE, but again, it's not our job. Now, meanwhile, it's the same Governor Cuomo that was demanding the federal government step in and, and handle every aspect of providing all of the hospitals, all of the ventilators, all of the respirators, all of the gloves, all of the masks, all of the gowns, all of the medicines, because they didn't have any preparation. We now know New York City had been recommended almost 10,000 ventilators be available. They didn't have any. New York State had recommended November 2015 that they said it would be short 15,783 ventilators. They didn't buy any. And, but they did waste a lot of money in New York. Now, this is a fight also on the money issue was, as it relates. If it's not COVID-19 related, it's not Mitch McConnell's responsibility. You know, and now it's a big pass the blame. Cuomo suggesting that it was money that was partly to blame for nursing homes failing to turn away the patients. But that's not true. That's his order that made that happen. And, you know, he's saying, well, you know, whatever reason they want, they could call the Department of Health and say, you take Bernadette, I can't handle her. And the Department of Health takes her. Now, when the Department of Health takes Bernadette, they no longer get paid for Bernadette. Oh, money. That's what Cuomo's saying, that, that these elderly care facilities did all of this. And they did it all for money. Um, anyway, so he said, then he said the comfort is a federal facility. It doesn't take transfers. Hang on a second. Governor Cuomo knows that the president converted the comfort for COVID-19 patients, just like the Javits Center. So that's not making sense either, because all he had to do was say, hey, do you mind? We have some elderly people. We can't send them back to the nursing homes. They don't even ha they, not, they don't have the ability to deal with this. I mean, it's amazing the buck passing that's going on here. Anyway, now we're finding out from the New York Post, Cobble Health Hill Center CEO, a guy by the name of Donnie Tuckman sent a desperate email to State Department uh, officials. And um, in this letter went to the, the officials April 9th, asking if there was a way for us to send our suspected COVID patients to the hospital built inside the Javits Center. We don't have the ability to cohort right now based on staffing, and we really want to protect our other patients. He wrote in a chain of emails that that was reviewed by the New York Post. He was denied. I was told the, those facilities were only for hospitals to send their overflow patients. Now, and as we all know, well, only 134 of the of the 3000 beds at the Javits Center were full. And the comfort, which had been reconfigured to treat up to 500 covid-19 patients, they had a mere 62 on board. And then adding insult to injury, the Navy hospital ship wound up treating just 179 patients and by the way, they've been sent back. And Cobble Hill has led all state nursing homes in the number of residents killed by coronavirus since the state health department began re releasing figures last week. This is not a small scandal. And it's the opposite. Remember, we were highlighting last week what had happened in the great state of Florida. We know what happened there. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a, a part of the program uh linda you got you put something up on the website that i noticed earlier today about people making masks and they sent you some and, and uh, you took some pictures one with the punisher on it which i thought was hilarious i mean it's it's great people are so innovative you know they're they're having trouble they're out of work you know they're trying to make ends meet this single mom she's in uh, Havertown, pennsylvania 
and she's making all of these awesome masks. And she sent me one that says censored. She mm-hmm. sent you one with the Punisher one because she saw you with the pin on TV. And she's just, you know, she's got this barbershop, this hair salon, and she can't be open right now. It's like so many businesses across the country. So she's kind of, and then she's selling them online and we put it up on Hannity.com. We certainly did. Thank you, Danielle. It's very cool. That's very, thank you, Danielle, for sending that to us. Uh, Now, speaking of Hannity.com, do we have an announcement or no? Yeah, we have an announcement, boss. So, moments ago, I, my attorney, Charles Harder, who was the, uh, he and Lynn Wood are the two best libel attorneys in the country, uh, has released a letter on my behalf. I am his client. Uh, The letter starts out, it is sent to the New York Times, and it is sent to a couple of their reporters. This firm is litigation counsel for Sean Hannity. We write concerning the New York Times' blatant, outrageous disregard for the truth in mischaracterizing Mr. Hannity's coverage of the coronavirus pandemic, blaming him for the tragic death of Joe Joyce. And the story goes on from there. Now, this is the story. We've talked about it. Joel Pollack of Breitbart brought it to my attention when I first saw it. I'm like, you're kidding me. Claiming in their piece that this apparently wonderful family had taken off on a cruise. They cite my comments March 9th as, well, they, they liked Hannity and they liked Fox News. And Hannity said this on an early March. It turned out they were quoting me from March 9th. And the problem is the people that we're talking about didn't they left on their trip March 1st. That is called a lie. This is a demand for retraction. This is a preservation letter to preserve all information, emails, etc., notes, and a demand for an apology. I am tired of being lied about. There is more to come. I'm not taking it anymore. One of the things I've been blessed with this job is an ability to financially afford to be able to fight back. It is beyond slander, beyond character assassination. Now, if they're a credible news organization, they should have no problem. Remember, they did the stealth edit, which rendered their own headline useless. It's a long letter. It's 12 pages, PDF. It's on Hannity.com. It's on at Sean Hannity on Twitter. We'll have more about this and the media's corruption as it relates to the double standard in their coverage of Tara Reid. That's why they're the mob. All right, news roundup information overload hour 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of this extravaganza. So, um, well, in the last 15 minutes or so, somewhere around there, my I hired the attorney whose name is Charles Harder. He and Linwood, I would argue, are the best two libel attorneys in the country. And a preservation demand for attraction apology letter has been sent by my lawyer to the New York Slime Times. Why? Because, well, as I said on the air after this first became public, they, they pretty much accused me of murder. And they got facts wrong. And this is what's going to be interesting here because they, they think they're high and mighty. We all know that they got so much wrong so often on Russia, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, impeach, impeach. We know about the double standard. You know, we're watching 
everything that's going on now as it relates to this case of Tara Reid. Well, the New York Times are up to their eyeballs in this, too. I mean, you know, you got, you got here a credible allegation made by a former staffer of Joe Biden, whose mother we now know, having learned from The Intercept, and I think it was Glenn Greenwald, and, and I want to get everybody, Brian Grimm and a bunch of other people, that in fact the mother called in to Larry King in 1993 talking about her daughter and what had happened. We now have not one, but we have multiple people that have stepped forward corroborating the assault uh, that she described in this Intercept podcast. And when you compare and contrast the media coverage then to now, it is it is breathtaking. It's, predi- it's sadly predictable. I said in 2007, journalism was dead. Uh, 81 questions so far. Joe Biden has gotten none about Tara Reid. Just like the same media covered for Joe Biden on tape bragging, saying, you're not getting the billion, he told Ukraine, until you fire that prosecutor who he knew was warned by the New York Times, even uh, according to reports, uh, is investigating a zero experienced son hunter who's paid millions and millions and millions of dollars. And when we get deeper into the China issue, we're going to look at the trip that Hunter, zero experience, took with then Vice President Joe to Asia, including China, and then the Bank of China deal that he got. We've been yet to, able to find any experience that would have qualified him for that either. Three weeks, 10 interviews, 81 questions, no mention at all of Tara Reid's allegation. Then you have over the weekend. We, I mean, it's predictable again, but it's sad. You have literally three week. You have you have all these people that are being named as potential vice presidential running mates for Joe Biden. Remember, he said he would pick a woman. You have uh, Stacey Abrams. Uh, we know that she was on a Sunday show. Chuck Todd. You got Jake Tapper. You got George Stephanopoulos. All of them failed to ask Joe Biden's named potential running mates about these assault allegations. And then there was an incredible timeline put together by FoxNews.com showing, oh, my gosh, if you look at how they treated Kavanaugh, the way they're treating Joe Biden, it it cannot be any more obvious of their abuse and their bias. And I've been saying their state-run media extension of the the extreme radical Democratic Party mob. In my case, and I'm not going to make this all about me, I'm just demanding... What 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 they if they care that they are a news organization, they say. They got their facts wrong. The facts alone in this case are wrong. And it's been long overdue. This is not going to be the end of things here today. This is only the beginning. I just decided that it's time. After, you know, and even as the Washington Examiner rightly quoted me when I was on my television show dealing with this particular issue. You know, to smear me, you have a writer at the New York Times exploiting a, a, apparently a wonderful family man who died having chosen to go on a, a cruise. They say, well, comments I made March 9th. They actually give the, the comments. They claim. You know, well, that's one of the reasons Mr. Hannity made comments March 9th saying that influenced his decision. The guy had left for his trip on March 1st. That, then they went in with their stealth edit, which 
to me, is nothing else but an admission of guilt, fully aware that they got it wrong instead of doing the right thing journalistically because they're journalists. You would think they'd say, "Okay, oh, we got this wrong because it took their entire narrative headline and blew it up in their face. No, they tried to hide it. An admission of guilt in my mind. And if they do the right thing, the right thing would be to correct the record and apologize and retract. You know, sometimes people can make mistakes. They've been called out on numerous occasions. I had made them acutely aware of the things that I've said on the coronavirus when I said it. And frankly, as I look at the timeline, that's also in, you can find all of this on Hannity.com and at Sean Hannity on Twitter. But you can find all of the things that I said at the time that I said it. And it's there for anybody to see. I also compare it to, I mean, you want to talk about pattern and practices. This is the, like the third in a series of things that was said about me. Only one of their reporters actually noted that I had said something because I called attention to all of them early about what my timeline is. It's there. It's been there, I think, since March, what, 18th or some, somewhere around there on Hannity.com. We've called people's attention to it. We've referred to it on air, both on radio and TV. Nobody had called me and asked me about this. I could have corrected it for them had they taken the time to call me. I informed them of the fact numerous times they didn't care. We went back with January 27th. We had Anthony Fauci on Hannity. January 28th, I interviewed three different physicians about the unprecedented nature of coronavirus. The first known case was January 21st. Six days later, I was on this and I was asking a lot of questions. I just I, I didn't like what I was reading and seeing. I asked the president February 2nd when I interviewed him for the Super Bowl. I had Dr. Fauci back on February 10th asking him about coronavirus, more specifically about asymptomatic people walking around transmitting the virus. You know, in the very on the very date that they say that my comments caused somebody who was already on a cruise to go on a cruise. Well, they even decided to edit that as well. And, you know, because I had said in that very show that older people with underlying conditions or compromised immune systems, yeah, they shouldn't be going on cruises. March 9th, by the way, Dr. Fauci said that healthy people can go on cruises. Doesn't mean I don't think Dr. Fauci did. He spent his whole life helping people to live, saving lives, working with pandemics. The guy's a hero, doesn't? but we were all lied to. That was another point that we're making as well here. Because we have to take it seriously, as I said many, many times. And that I also believed in our great scientists and medical researchers and everybody else. We talked about this right from the get-go, very early on. It's all there. You can see it at Hannity.com and on at Sean Hannity on Twitter. And all the case law that we believe uh you know, it's it's a higher standard, uh, but we believe that pattern practice, willful disregard for the truth, libel, slander, all applicable here. You know, and then there's the whole, you know, you, you want to talk about what public figures were saying? Well, we have Mayor de Blasio telling people to get out on the town despite coronavirus on March 2nd in a tweet. 
On March 10th, he's, you know, on MSDNC, we have 25 cases of coronavirus. We want to encourage that if you're under 50 and healthy, which is most of New Yorkers, there's very little threat here. March 10th, he said that. Governor Cuomo, I mean, again, we were lied to. We should have bought the ventilators, in my view. Could have been a little more appreciative at times. Now we know that he really should have not allowed COVID-19 patients into nursing homes. You know, but he was saying March 1st. No reason for undue anxiety. The general risk remains low in New York. March 2nd, so when you're saying what happened in other countries is going to happen here, he said, well, we have the best health care system in the world. March 2nd, he said that. And excuse our arrogance as New Yorkers, I speak for the mayor also. We have the best health care system on the planet. So when, we're, when you're saying what happened in other countries with corona could happen here, well, we don't think it's going to be as bad as it was in other countries. February 29th, even, did it, even Dr. Fauci said it was a, you know, the, the risk is low, the threat is low. And I'm not criticizing him. He said right now the risk is still low, February 29th. So, and then you can look at the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN. We have all this in there. Hannity.com. And Joe Contra joins us. He is, uh, you know, we, we kept him out of the loop, so I wanted to give him some information. Your thoughts? Well, if you go back to February, Sean, to your point, New York Times headline, who says it's not safe to travel to China? The coronavirus travel ban is unjust and doesn't work anyway. Then they say also, in Europe, fear spreads faster than the coronavirus itself. That's February 18th. About 40 cases have been confirmed in Europe, but people in places associated with the illness face being stigmatized. So you see where their priorities were. And again, look, to go back and play this gotcha game with people, and particularly with, for instance, you bring up Dr. Fauci, right, who's been doing this since the Reagan administration. He's a hero. Pandemics. He is, I'm not exactly. critical of him in any way. I'm, I have no Nor criticism of him. In a math equation, if you're given certain data to put into the equation and that data is wrong, or in this case it came from China and the World Health Organization saying that there wasn't human-to-human transmission or all the other things that China lied about in terms of the number of cases and number of deaths, of course Fauci's going to come to that conclusion or other people then relying on Fauci for that information in the media. So, look, we go back to this a hundred times, but Dr. Fauci told uh, in one interview on January 21st, quote, this is not a major threat to the people of the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States should be worried about right now. And as you said, he mentioned going on cruises as late as March 9th. Again, based on the information that we had at the time, because this is an unprecedented event. So to your lawsuit, as far as the New York Times is concerned, I'd be worried if I'm them, because now we have a precedent, and that precedent came, Sean, from the Covington Catholic lawsuit against the Washington Post and then namely CNN, who settled. We don't know for how much, but they sued him for $275 million. So if you're going to settle, i got to think that it was a pretty high number. So suddenly now it was really hard to sue news organizations for libel or slander because you had to prove damages. But since CNN settled on that, that said, boy, we got this wrong. We better settle on this. because Well, we my lawyer is the one court. that won the Gawker case. Remember that? Landmark oh, case. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, the Hulk Hogan case, right? That's correct. That's right. Yeah. And, and Hulk Hogan, basically what happened with Gawker was that And I won't tell you, th- I'll tell you this, in terms yeah. of confidence, if, if that goes forward, extremely high. Well, yeah. I mean, and by the way, the this is not right? my only, this is not the only letter that I'm going to be sending out, by the way. Oh, I will say that. You can break news. 
Okay, thank you. Well, I, I, I want to ask you about so Tara Reid when we get back. Joe Conscious with us, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. There's a reason I say they are the mob, because that's pretty much what they are. It is, you know, now we have the case. Joe Concha is with us, uh, commentator, opinion columnist with the uh, Hill, focused on media. You watch what I saw this weekend. I mean, it's, it's summed up in a great article in the Free Beacon. You know, Joe Biden is yet to face a single question on sexual assault a- allegations. Uh, when you look at the number of, of times he has done media and they never will ask him the question. Ten appearances, 81 questions, zero questions about Tara Reid, who has corroboration and her, the call from a mother on Larry King. Your thoughts? Well, Sean, it's not so much what you watched, it's what you didn't watch, right? That's called the bias of omission. That's the most insidious kind of bias that's out there because you're suppressing information that the public should know. And look, no interview with the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, should occur moving forward without him being questioned on this, especially given the new evidence that has come out. And, and look, even the people that want to be his vice president, all women, need to be questioned on that. Here's Stacey Abrams just uh, in February of, I'm sorry, uh, September of 2018, quote, after the courageous and compelling testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford yesterday, it is shameful that Kavanaugh's nomination is being rushed forward. I believe women and I believe survivors of violence always deserve to be supported and have their voices heard. Now, why if you have Stacey Abrams on, if you're Jake Tapper or Chuck Todd, you don't read that quote back to her and say, this is the man that you want to work for, Joe Biden. He's accused of sexual harassment or misconduct. What, what do you say to that? And why would you want to work for him when you say you believe all women and believe survivors of violence that they always need to be supported and heard? That's what Tim Russert used to do, a real journalist, and now we're not seeing it. And I can't believe, Sean, that there's not one interviewer out there, not one journalist, that when they get Joe Biden... In an interview that that they're not asking this question because it is relevant now at this point. And to avoid it, either they are agreeing, these interviewers, to some sort of predetermined agreement that they're not going to bring it up. The campaign said don't bring it up. Okay, we want access to the vice president. Fine. We want that. Or some sort of memo has gone out. All I I can say is you can't question them about it. I've spoken to Tara Reid. I'm not going to talk about the conversation. She is extremely smart. She is extremely confident. She's extremely articulate. And, you know, she has all of these people corroborating her story now, and they're still not asking. I think they're afraid to. All right, we've got to take a break. Joe, Joe, stay with us on the other side. We expect a coronavirus task force briefing. We'll find out when that comes. We'll go to it. More with Joe Concha. Hannity tonight at 9 a lot going on. We'll bring you all the news the mob never will. Straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. At some point, we expect uh, we might be interrupted for the Coronavirus Task Force Daily Briefing. Um, if we do, we'll go to that. And for stations along the Sean Hannity Show uh, network, uh, please know we will follow our, our procedure as we have for the last number of weeks. One last thing, the coronavirus pandemic, it has put millions of people out of work. They're relying on unemployment benefits to get them through. The FTC now has received more than 100 reports. I mean, it's unbelievable of identity theft linked to the coronavirus pandemic. Unfortunately, laid off workers discovered they're already victims of identity theft when they file for unemployment, only to find out someone else is getting their benefits. Is what we've been warning about. Someone's identity is stolen every two seconds That's why you need LifeLock. They see the threats you'll miss on your own. And you don't want people taking out credit cards, loans in your name, getting to your bank account, retirement account. 
destroying your reputation. And if you do have a problem, they have a team of restoration specialists that fix the problems for you. Right now, you go to 1-800-LIFELOCK or lifelock.com. And on top of their already low annual rate, you'll save an additional 25%. Lifelock.com, 1-800-LIFELOCK. All right, if you're just joining us, Joe Concha is uh, with us. Uh, just released in the last hour, letter from my attorney directly to the New York Times uh, as it re- relates to a demand for a retraction and an apology. Then we have, and it's kind of predictable, sadly, you have three Sunday shows with Joe Biden uh, candidates' names mentioned to be a possible VP running mate. None of them ask a single thing about the allegation of Tara Reid. Very specific allegation. Three weeks, 10 interviews, 81 questions, not one question about this to the Biden campaign, just like they covered for Ukraine. You're not getting the billion until you fire the prosecutor investigating my zero experience son being paid millions. Oh, nobody wanted to touch that either. Uh, they, they, only, they don't care, care about quid pro quos with Joe. It's how corrupt and abusive the, the bias is in this media. Um, Tara Reid's neighbor has now stepped forward to corroborate the assault allegation. She told a friend at the time. She told her brother at the time. She told her mother at the time. Her mother called in the Larry King, as we played earlier. Anyway, Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden never has to answer. Joe Concha is here to comment on it. That was like my Biden moment. Is it Super Thursday yet? Well, you are in your 50s now, Sean, and that's when the mind begins to go. So, All right, really, really Joe? Nice you got to start. You well, get, really? Um, don't throw me, all right? Don't throw me. We're all having fun here. Anyway, uh, yeah, look, it, it, the, the Larry King tape is amazing, right? That's on CNN in 1993 where Tara Reid's mother calls in and describes what happens. And, and the fact is that CNN still has not covered this story on their air, despite part of the story occurring on their air at one point. And they have a whole media team there that's supposed to analyze this stuff, why we cover stories, why we don't, how they're covered, and they're not touching it either. So clearly a directive has come down from above saying that we are not to touch this in any way. And look, it's just so blatant. I don't even know if I have to say it. It's so obvious. If you're a Republican or you're a conservative, consider right-leaning and you're accused of sexual harassment, due process, forget that. You're guilty until proven mm-hmm. innocent. But if you're on the left and if you're Joe Biden and you're going to be the Democratic nominee, then it's all well, hands on deck and we ain't going to touch this. We're going to have to say goodbye to Joe Contra. Joe, thank you. We'll have you back soon. The president is Corona uh, Task Force Daily Briefing. We will cover this. Take it straight to the end for stations along our network. Uh, line as we go to the president. Thank you very much. Thank you. Today, I'd like to provide you with an update in our war against the coronavirus. Thanks to our comprehensive strategy and extraordinary devotion to our citizens, we've had such tremendous support all over. We continue to see encouraging signs of progress. Cases in New York area, New Orleans, Detroit, Boston, and Houston are declining. Denver, Seattle, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Nashville, Indianapolis, and St. Louis are all stable and declining. All parts of the country are either in good shape, getting better, in all cases, getting better. And we're seeing very little that we're going to look at as a superseding hotspot. 
Things are moving along. Really a uh, horrible situation that we've been confronted with, but they're moving along. As we express our gratitude for these hard-fought gains, however, we continue to mourn with thousands of families across the country whose loved ones have been stolen from us by the invisible enemy. We grieve by their side as one family, this great American family, and we do grieve. We also stand in solidarity with the thousands of Americans who are ill and waging a brave fight against the virus. We're doing everything in our power to heal the sick and to gradually reopen our nation and to safely get our people back to work. They want to get back to work and they want to get back to work soon. There's a hunger for getting our country back and it's happening and it's happening faster than people would think. Ensuring the health of our economy is vital to ensuring the health of our nation. These goals work in tandem. They work side by side. It's clear that our aggressive strategy to slow the spread has been working and is saving countless lives. For those who are infected, we've taken unprecedented action to ensure they have the highest level of care anywhere in the world. The federal government has built more than 11,000 extra beds, shipped or delivered hundreds of millions of pieces of personal protective equipment, as you know. In fact, some of the people here are going to be talking about it, some of our greatest executives, some of the greatest anywhere in the world, and distributed over 10,000 ventilators. And we now have, in a very short period of time, many have been delivered and hundreds of thousands are being built. And frankly, every governor has more ventilators right now than they know what to do with. They're actually shipping them to different locations, and we're shipping some to our allies and others throughout the world because we have ventilators like uh, the job that they've done in getting this very complex piece of equipment built is actually incredible. You don't hear about ventilators anymore except in a positive way. We've launched the most ambitious testing effort likewise on Earth. The United States has now conducted more than 5.4 million tests nearly double the number tested in any other country, more than twice as much as any other country. Think of that. Moments ago, I came from a meeting with some of our nation's largest retailers, including Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, and Kroger. We're uh, joined by the leaders of those great companies, and we also have with us the leaders from the world's top medical diagnostics companies and suppliers, Thermo Fisher, LabCorp, Quest, U.S. Cotton, and the American Clinical Laboratory Association. These are great, great companies. Uh, these private sector leaders, along with others such as Roche, Abbott, Becton, Dickinson, Hologic, and Cephahide, have been exceptional partners in an unprecedented drive to expand the state's capabilities and our country's capabilities. The job they've done has been incredible. Uh, the testing that's been developed and, and being developed right now has been truly an amazing thing. Uh, I want to thank Abbott Laboratories for the job they've done. I want to thank Roche, and in particular, those two have really stepped forward. Abbott with a five-minute test that people can take, and in five minutes they know what the, uh, what the answer is. I'd like to ask, if I could, the executives of these great companies, and uh, they are 
They have really helped us a lot over the last 45-day period. We're talking about a 45-day period when many of us met. And since then, what Walmart and the others have done has been nothing short of amazing. So I just want to ask them to come forward and say a few words about their company. Plus, they're going to make a big contribution to our country. Please, come forward, please. Thank you. Come on up. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you for all of you uh, for being here today. And, and what we'd like to talk about is the progress we made. The last time we were here was March 13th, and we've made tremendous progress. And none of that progress could be made without the 47,000 people at Quest Diagnostics that are working around the clock on working up the test and running the test in delivering the results that we need. As far as results, we've made uh, tremendous progress. Uh, we are currently at Quest Diagnostics uh, testing about 50,000 tests per day. We've been pushed by the task force to bring up that number. By the end of May, we'll have 100,000 tests per day, about 3 million tests, and these are the molecular tests that we do today. We've also brought up serological testing. We started that this past week, and by the end of May, we'll be close to 250,000 a day, about 7,000 a month. So you put those two numbers together, together, it's about 10 million tests by the end of May that we'll be doing at Quest Diagnostics. We're doing that also in a quicker way. Turnaround times were somewhat of an issue. At the early days, we've reduced that to one to two days. Our turnaround time for people in beds, hospital beds, is less than 24 hours. And we're doing that in the same way we've done it with the FDA and with CLIA, delivering the quality that you all expect. And convenience will improve as well with convenient solutions that will be able to swab individuals more easily and also deliver to consumer the ability to have consumers choose a test online with a telehealth provider. So with that, I'd like to offer my colleague the podium as well. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much for your leadership and for having us all here today. Our scientists and our lab technicians are working day and night in order to do as many tests as we possibly can for the American public and to turn those tests around as quickly as possible. Just 45 days ago, we said we could do several thousand tests a day. We can now do 60,000 tests a day, and we're continuing to expand that capacity every single day. In addition, our scientists are working to make testing more convenient and easier. We have the swabs now that are much smaller than the original ones that we originally launched with, but we also have the Pixel by LabCorp at-home test. That test right now is for healthcare workers on the front line and first responders, but we will be rolling that out much more broadly over the coming weeks, and we're going to roll it out with absolutely no upfront cost for the individual consumers. At the same time, we are building our capacity for serology testing. And we can currently do about 50,000 today. And we'll be able to do several hundred thousand per day by the middle of May. And we're going to be working with the retailers, our colleagues that are here today, to help them as they expand their testing capabilities across the entire country. And lastly, Mr. President, we have a rather large drug development business. And we will continue to work with our colleagues in the pharmaceutical and the biotech biotechnology industry to ensure we do everything we possibly can to enroll clinical trials fast so that we can get new treatments and potential vaccines. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Please go ahead.
Mr. President, thank you and thank, uh, and thank uh, the administration for all of the collaboration to enable Thermal Fisher Scientific uh, to be able to produce the test kits that companies like LabCorp and Quest and the public health labs around the world run. Um, we met our original commitments of producing 5 million kits a week and we're up to uh, scaling that to double that uh, in the coming weeks in terms of supporting testing around the world. Um, I'd like to thank my 75,000 colleagues around the world for their tireless effort. Uh, to make that a reality and supporting all of, all of our customers to have the testing necessary to get America back to work. Thank you very much. Great job. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. I'm John Nims with U.S. Cotton, and we are the company that is going to produce the swabs to be used in these testing kits. We have about 1,200 people in our company, and in our Cleveland operation, they have pivoted from, as you've said, the Q-tip uh, style swab to a swab that's going to have a plastic stick with a polyester tip so that they can be assembled into these kits. Our Cle Cleveland team has done a wonderful job with this, and I'm very, they're very excited to be able to help in this effort. So thank you, Mr. Thank President. Thank you very much. Great job. Mr. President, thank you. Uh, I'm Larry Marlowe with CVS Health, and it was just over a month ago that we opened up our first uh, drive-through uh, test site. Uh, and since that time, we have opened large-scale testing facilities across five states in partnership with the administration and working with the governors of Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Georgia, uh, and Michigan. And these sites are enabling us to test approximately 1,000 individuals a day with uh, real-time results. We now have a capacity to test about 35,000 uh, individuals each, each week. And this afternoon, we announced plans to expand that capacity even further. Uh, beginning in May, we will install testing capabilities uh, in up to 1,000 CVS pharmacies. We'll be using uh, our drive-throughs and our parking lots with swab testing. Uh, so again, you'll see that coming online uh, you know, in May. And we also recognize uh, the fact that you know, the virus is disproportionately affecting our minority communities. So we're working in partnership with organizations like the National Medical Association uh, to bring testing and care into the traditionally underserved communities. We're also beginning to implement mobile capabilities with which to do that. And as businesses are you know, restarting their workforce, we'll also be looking to assist them you know, as they begin to come back to a normal operation. And finally, as my other colleagues, I just want to thank uh, my CVS colleagues. They have done a phenomenal job in terms of helping people in many different ways all across communities uh, in the country. And they're part of this army of healthcare professionals and you know, front store uh, and you know, first-line supervisors and workers that are doing terrific things to bring our country together. And for that, uh, we owe them a huge amount of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Appreciate the, uh, the invitation to be here today. And it was just 45 days ago when we were here. I'm Richard Ashworth. I oversee Walgreens in the U.S. And I just want to start off, Larry, like you, thanking the over 200,000 Walgreens team members who are in stores every day all across America taking care 
of our patients and our customers, you know, giving them essential daily needs, the prescriptions obviously that they need, and even COVID testing uh, while we're here. We also announced today we'll be expanding our testing capabilities across all states, including Puerto Rico. We'll be able to triple uh, the volume that we do now in partnership with our uh, lab uh, partners, and we're excited to be able uh, to do that. Uh, we're really excited with the public-private partnership that we have here because that's what enabling us to do this, and we look forward to working with the additional states uh, to get these sites up and running as fast as possible. As a pharmacist, I just want to say one quick thing. I'm really proud to be part of this profession, and not just Walgreens pharmacists and, and pharmacy employees, but all of them across grocery, mass, independence. You're really doing what you should be doing and what you went to school for to help patients, counseling them on their medicines and helping them understand the problems that we're facing. You know, pharmacy is right here uh, in it with everyone together in the community, and we look forward to being part of the testing like we are now, serology, whatever that might look like in the future, and eventually treatment when the vaccine does come. So thank you, Mr. President, for the opportunity. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. We appreciate all you're doing to get America back to work and doing it safely. I represent Kroger, and my name is Rodney McMullen. And I am so proud of our nearly half a million associates that are doing everything every day to keep customers safe and our associates safe. And one of the things that we were able to do is provide the basic practices we're doing. We call it blueprint. And it's the things that all of us can learn from on how to get America back working. Uh, we also announced earlier today, uh, continuing to accelerate our practice on testing. Uh, we are actively engaged in six states. Uh, next, in the next couple of weeks, we'll take that to 12 states. And the number of tests that we do continues to grow faster than that. Uh, together, we will win. Together, we will solve this problem and move on. America is always great. Thank you again. Thank you, Mr. President. My name is Doug McMillan. I'm a Walmart associate, and I, too, would like to start by thanking our associates for everything that they're doing in our stores, Sam's Clubs, distribution centers, and in our e-commerce fulfillment centers. They've been inspiring and continue to have a can-do attitude and step up. It's much appreciated. Um, we started um, 45 days ago, as did everyone else, and we've been operating sites for a while now. We're now up to 20 sites across 11 states. By the end of next week, we'll be to 45, and by the end of the May, end of May, we'll be at 100. Um, we also, a few weeks ago, uh, Vice President Pence and I were in a distribution center in Virginia, a food distribution center. He was kind enough to come and thank our associates for us there, which is much appreciated. And the president and vice president were speaking on the phone about surgical gowns, and the president asked if we could um, put in a, an order for millions of surgical gowns, and um, we don't normally buy those, so I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to do that. But I'd like to thank our apparel team and McKesson in particular for partnering with us. We've been able to, in the month of April, secure an additional two and a half million surgical gowns. Um, and by the end of May, we'll have an additional six million available to help. So thank you for the opportunity to serve and thank for being you. here. Great job, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President, and thanks to the team for getting this great operation up and running for the benefit of the country. I'm Hayward Donegan with Rite Aid, and we are currently operating 40% of the current test sites in 25 locations across eight states. 
And we had the, I had the opportunity as I was driving up to stop at our Richmond location and see the testing in action and thank the associates, whether it be security or pharmacy, front end, everybody who's helping with this great effort and um, all of the customers that appreciate this so much. It was really amazing to see. And I want to thank my 50,000 associates also for keeping these retail locations up and running uh, during these really, really tough times. It's been quite amazing. And we too are going to expand our testing and we're doing about 1,500 a day. Thanks. Thank you very much. So thank you all very much. It's incredible what we've done together over a short period of time. I want to thank our Vice President for the task force and the work. Uh, every day it gets better, and we had a fantastic call with the governors today. And uh, I would say that they are uh, as, as thrilled as they can be, considering that the fact is that there has been so much unnecessary death in this country. It could have been stopped, and it could have been stopped short. But somebody a long time ago, it seems, decided not to do it that way. And the whole world is suffering because of it, 184 countries at least.